0: This episode of The Code is brought to you by MoveMate, the award-winning active standing board that makes the perfect companion to your computer workstation. This is Dr. Andrew Fix, physical therapist and host of The Code. I can't recommend this product enough. Since I started using it, I noticed I'm more focused during meetings, less uncomfortable while working on the computer, and simply more productive. Not to mention the small activity you get while using it is great for your body and sure beats sitting in a chair the whole day. Do yourself a favor and order yours today. Visit www.letsmovemate.com slash Dr. Andrew Fix. While you're there, use promo code DRA15 to take 15% off the price. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from PhysioRoom, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back here for another episode on the code. Haven't done one of these in a while where we're sitting in the office here at our DTC Denver Tech Center location at Physio Room inside of Lion's Den Strength Mobility and Performance. But we're back at it and we've got an awesome interview lined up for you guys today with Joel Freebolth, one of the coaches here at Lions Den. We've had the opportunity to work together now for about three and a half years. In short, Joel is a personal trainer. He's one of the coaches here at lion's den and he specializes in doing a lot of individual personal training but also leading group classes here inside the gym that are very what we call flow and mobility focused um he's kind of like the mobility guru around here when it comes to coaches and um a little bit about him he's a nasm certified personal trainer uh i really love that he has his 102 certification through the ready state um so he's a movement and mobility specialist And then if you're not familiar, maybe you will be a little bit more throughout this episode, but Joel's a level one Viking ninja steel mace certified coach. So that's a piece of equipment or a a group of equipment that uh, Joel uses a lot of times with his clients, maces, clubs, things that are unevenly weighted. So, uh, Joel, excited to be having you here for this conversation, man. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks, Doug. I really appreciate you having me. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's an honor I really enjoy what you're doing with the cat the podcast um love what you're doing here the physio room you know that I send uh, individuals including family members we, we really trust you and, and appreciate what you're doing so uh thanks for having me on
0: yeah absolutely yeah like Joel kind of alluded to we we've had the opportunity to work uh, with clients both in in the family outside of family and with each other kind of side by side Joel has given me uh, tips and pointers when we're out in the gym um, to make sure that I'm performing better, and, uh, and he's been a client of ours here at Physio Room. But uh, why don't we do this, Joel, um, a little bit deeper than like the intro that I I did for you? Of tell us a little bit more about you. I know you're like yeah. you're from here, but yeah. you know, how did you get into to coaching? How did you wind up here at Lion's And um, and then where we're going to eventually take this conversation is talking about training and longevity and how do we continue to train throughout the lifespan so that our body has the ability to do the things that we want to do, no matter uh, how old we are.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay.
0: Um, Love it. Love that topic. I, uh, I have that conversation
1: with a lot of the individuals I work with. A little bit of background about me, as you alluded to, I'm a Colorado native. That means proud part of the Broncos country uh and you know a lot of that has to do with me playing football for so many years as well um you know kind of in my early years when it came to activities you know i did gymnastics karate taekwondo a little bit of dance then i got engaged into organized sports like baseball and football in high school i continued to play football uh joined the wrestling team did track to stay conditioned Um, but then in, in college, I actually pursued computer science and business. And, um, even during that time though, I still had the coaching blood in me. I actually got the, the opportunity to be the head coach of a youth football team for a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. I really, uh, cherish that deeply. Most of the majority of my twenties, I actually, spent kind of following the entrepreneur entrepreneurial role. And then I got back into fitness like 24, 25, started doing some boxing. Um, I participated in a 12-week uh, boot camp program, mm-hmm. which was straight from the Marine and Army protocol, super intense, but nothing like two a days in high school football. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I remember those. And then after that I actually got in hospitality and sales for a couple of years. And then I actually got into uh, the fitness industry, starting over at Greenwood Athletic Club. There, you know, I got to interact and befriend many people, uh, especially the seasoned trainers. Um, And that's where kind of uh, the seeds were planted. Uh, One in particular, uh, a trainer named David Nutting, he he told me that I'd be a good trainer. And that was long before I ever thought about it. And I was like, oh, didn't even think about it. But Tristan, who I know that you have interviewed on this podcast before, owner of uh, Lions in, he and yeah. my wife, we were really good friends over there. And he used to do the same thing. And he used to tell me that I'd be a good trainer. And this was even when he was a trainer. And so when I decided to pursue that route, we also were good friends with another trainer named Sean Cook, who... You've also interviewed. Yeah, we did. Yeah, And um, so when I talked to them uh, about it, you know, we, it, it started to get a little more serious and I jumped into it.
0: Yeah. So um, this was in your mid twenties?
1: This was, so this was actually, this was actually by that point, I was actually in my early thirties. Okay. Yeah. Um, and my first significant opportunity over at Greenwood Athletic Club was as the head uh, strength and conditioning coach Mm. for the the swim team, the Tiger Sharks. Okay. And, yeah, that was a role that I really relished quite a bit, to say the least, particularly because I got to work with youth athletes, which is, uh, you know, a a section of the population I really enjoy working with. And that's somebody that uh, I work with a lot here. Um, You know, we have a middle school program here that I head up. And get them ready for our high school program. What other things did I? How did I? So yeah, was there anything else that I kind of missed?
0: Well, so you had um, worked with the swim team there. Mm -hmm. So then, at what point you said that was like one of your first main kind of opportunities? Yeah. At what point did that sort of turn into? You know, maybe where you took more of the turn to be more doing individual personal training, and then what I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. because because we haven't talked too much about this is this is totally off topic from longevity, but I think it's important because um, you spent some time in the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that there's a lot of parallels or things that can overlap in a good way between like working in customer service, hospitality and working as a coach because you're just building relationships with people and you're talking and communicating with people all the time. Mm -hmm. So are there any things that you think you like, you took from your years doing that, that you still utilize today as a coach?
1: I think I'm just kind of a natural social butterfly. So that's why I probably did good in those industries. Uh, Some of the sales stuff, maybe I've, I've kind of taken in, but yeah, I think I've just always interpersonal communication has always been an easy thing for me. Yeah. Relating with people, you know, I've, I've lived a pretty crazy life. So just, really you know i I think i have relatable experiences with people sure so that that's i think that's been helpful
0: yeah as a coach yeah i think that's one thing that we notice with clients in our office i'm sure you guys too because like we have coaches here (laughs) that have uh, no different specialties right like one coach might be more geared towards mobility one might be more geared towards olympic lifting one might be more geared towards Uh, working with women or or working with runners, for example, and the clients by their own doing and by the communication and marketing and sales of the facility tend to gravitate towards those coaches, right? If you like look at one coach or one therapist's schedule, they have people on their schedule that lean into the sports and activities and the things that they like to do. And that's part of partially how we like find each other. So yeah, I think when you, when you can relate to people, clients want to work with someone who understands what it is they're going through or what they're training for. Like a, you know, if they're a client in our office who wants to train for a marathon, doesn't really want to work with a therapist who knows nothing about running. Right. They want to work with someone that understands running. So, so yeah, that, uh, that makes great sense to me because we kind of talk about that, uh, that all the time in our office. So, you know,
1: one of the questions you'd ask me, uh, prior to this was kind of like my evolution of, of training methods and and I think I've really gone through a lot of things even starting at a young age and and that's one of the things that has given me kind of a broad understanding of movement and mobility though I I think I've always had some uh, intuition within it even going way back into my early days in first organized sports the coaches would always point to me and 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 use me as the example but i mean i got into weightlifting when i was i, I was in middle school when yeah I, I got into it uh one of my best friends he also was a football player and we we trained together at a place called club usa for old Colorado N- natives they probably know that place and yeah so you know um you know i did i did that for a long time and then you know my early 20s basically through my 20s the 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 training kind of shifted into uh more you know bodybuilding style and then um when i got into in my early 30s i got into brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah and running but thanks to tristan <laughs> <laughs> seems like he has that effect on a few people yeah and uh those those two sports Uh, kind of gave me a a different approach towards sports specific training. Yeah. And I started to educate myself a little bit more on that. And this is even before I was a trainer. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I started getting exposed to experts like uh, Martin Rooney, Michael Boyle, you know, like kind of functional or sports specific type training. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you were talking about how, you know, people kind of gravitate towards me. Well, one of the things that I'd always dealt with, even when I was younger, was some chronic lumbar mm. dysfunction, and it's hard to know exactly where that stemmed from because I did get into this like a like a like a car accident when I was younger, and there's a chance that that's where some of the issues stem from. But I used to get injured from playing football every year. Mm. I tweaked my back, got it, and every year it'd get worse and worse and worse. And um that that actually ended up what why I quit playing football my senior year because mm-hmm. it just was so bad that I it would it would be like you know when I first started out it'd be like one week injury. By the time I was done, it'd take like eight weeks for my body to recover. Well, when I was doing uh jujitsu, I was actually injured myself again. Yeah. Um I was and it was funny because I was actually teaching the kids self-defense class at the time. And we were doing some silly stuff, stretching afterwards. And I was doing stuff that I shouldn't have been doing probably. And and I ruptured the disc somehow. And that was like that really sent me down a, a another path. Um it was a real pivotal moment for me personally because um you know I had to I was back in like you know the I was out for that thing took 18 months for it to fully uh, Heal, but, you know, I got back in, I was good friends with a lot of physical therapists over at Greenwood athletic club. They, there was another company there. Yeah. Um, and then I also between them and, uh, a Pilates instructor named Rachel, I can't think of her last name. She was awesome. She was also a physical therapist, but she was a Pilates instructor. Um, and she taught me how to, you know, really brace properly. Yeah. And so I really dove deep into that. And the That was, again, like I said, pretty pivotal with my own training, but I also have become very educated on lower back problems and how to, you know, deal with them, how to be able to train through them. You know, the, some of the doctors that I had seen said, oh, you're never going to be able to deadlift or squat anymore. And, and I was like, "Ah, I don't know about that. (laughs) Like you, you're asking me not to do something that I, I think I should be able to do. Yeah. So, um, I kind of challenged that a little bit by diving in deeper with and educating myself and, 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 and also, you know, through training and it's really, you know, steered me towards kind of like principles and, and more of a holistic approach Mm -hmm. to training. So, yeah, I mean, that was where really where a lot of some of the stuff really, I started going, you know. I have a lot to bring to the table here for people. And I was also, you know, a, a private trainer over at Greenwood Athletic Club. So I think that's where I started getting this mobility yeah. tag because I was also introduced through, through Tristan, again, a, a, a physical therapist. And we're, known, we're known, a guy named Kelly Sturette. Mm-hmm. And he's like the mobility guru. And, and that really resonated. A lot of his principles really resonated with me. And so, yeah, we started teaching those things over,
0: over yeah. there. You know, I got a question based sure. on that that sure. came up because I think um, people on the show, people that we work with in the gym, obviously, so many people in the community are familiar with the experience of having low back pain. Mm-hmm. And I'm familiar with it. My people in my family are familiar with it. So many people have dealt with it or will deal with it, it is a really big problem in our society. A lot of people have it. Um, and I think a lot of people are told what you said of, you saw certain physicians and providers and they said, I don't want you to squat heavy. I don't want you to deadlift. Like I want you to avoid, avoid, avoid these things. And, um, you know, when you speak with somebody like you or myself, well, we know at this point in our, in our, uh, career that that's a bunch of BS, right? That's. The solution to a problem is not just to avoid things that bother it, right? Like we know that if you just avoid squatting and you hope to get back to squatting pain free, well, avoiding squatting is probably not the way to do that. So I think now people are becoming a little bit more apt to seek out additional resources, seek out additional experts, additional specialists, and try to figure out like, well, I want to get back to this thing. Um and I don't want to just avoid running or avoid lifting or avoid whatever that some other more traditional medicine provider told them to do. And you had mentioned that you were working with the Pilates instructor, physical therapist who helped teach you how to brace properly to create stability around your spine when you're doing things. What other things do you think in your experience going through this, uh, this lower back pain um, timeline, you said like 18 months, what other things do you think were, like, big principles that you learned that you really can point to helped you be able to get through that and be able to continue to do things without having your back continue to flare up over and over like it used to when you were playing sports? Well, the
1: the the key thing was learning how to brace properly. Yeah. That was, like, the most important part of that. And, and, and learning how to do that was, you know, I'd always... No one had ever taught me that. Even all, all the years that I I trained in the in the weight room, and, and the coaches would be like, "Oh, watch watch him do it." And they never taught us how to brace. Yeah, that was like the most important thing.
0: Now I know um, it's easier. Sorry to interrupt you. Sure, please. I know it's easier to uh, probably show somebody how to brace but since we're talking about it mm-hmm. like when you and I say we want to brace yeah. properly can we try to explain like what the hell that even means yeah like yeah. like okay so and the people that are listening to this again we appreciate you for tuning in but maybe try to like go along and play along with this so that as Joel describes how to brace and how to create some stability throughout your your lower trunk in your midsection uh see if you can do it I think that would be a good exercise so
1: yeah, well, you know, if if I was walking somebody through that, I actually probably have them start laying on the ground. Yeah, sure. And then just activating their glutes, so squeezing your butt. A lot of the times, we when we're when we're educated about you know bracing, we we think it's just trunk muscles, like mm-hmm. or, or or even less than that, just ab muscles, just abs. Yeah, sure. But I like to teach people that it's it's glutes and maybe even high trunk, like the entire glutes all the way up so you know squeezing the glutes is first aspect taking a deep breath in diaphragmatically exhaling out and then getting the rest of the trunk musculature active one of the one of the concepts that I'll, i'll 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 tell somebody or or to for them to conceptualize is i'll i'll pretend like i have a real heavy medicine ball. And I'll be like, okay, on your breath out, I'm going to drop this 20 pound ball on your stomach. And what are you going to do? You're yeah. going to brace really hard. You're sure. just naturally. Um, and so that's something that I, I try to, to, to cue people on yeah. doing glutes and then trunk, glutes, trunk, glutes, trunk. And then eventually it's both of those things. And that's the full brace.
0: Yeah. Um, it sounds like you're saying, um, you know, after you engage the glutes. As you inhale and on your exhale, you're trying to like pull everything in and create this stability, kind of like a, the muscles around your spine, creating like a corset that kind of yeah. like create this inward tension as opposed to um, try to think of the example of like a blowfish or something, right? Sure. Who like inhales and provides all this pressure outward yes. to to create this big balloon effect. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. And you know, sometimes I have this conversation with people where they're wearing like a weightlifting belt, and their strategy is to push outward sure. into the belt. But what we know is a better strategy is to create that tension inward around your spine. And then if you are lifting heavy and you have that belt on, that's there as a safety mechanism for that to provide that extra layer of stability, be an extra layer of uh we'll call it trunk musculature. Um, not that you want to cue yourself to push outward, um, so that we're using
1: the deeper stabilizing muscles to do the work. So one of the good cues that I picked up from Pilates all those years ago was pull the belly button to the spine. Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's a great one, but there's also an added layer to that, that I learned listening to Chris. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Robo. Uh, about pulling the heart, the belly button uh, to the heart too, pulling it up. Yeah, yeah, not just
0: in but up a little
1: bit. Yeah, I think that really helps to activate some of those deeper trunk muscles. Yeah. You can also visualize like the muscles around your spine trying to get tighter around it. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. another
0: thing to to think about when you're
1: when you're bracing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that because the uh, this this concept right of bracing to create stability it really carries through everything that we do right yeah it really doesn't matter like what you're doing if you are playing a sport say football and you're going to take some contact um make a tackle be tackled if you're lifting in the gym you're deadlifting, you're squatting you're pressing right it doesn't matter if you are shoveling snow right you know we've had one big snowfall we're gonna have more this winter we need to race and create stability when we do it and Sometimes clients ask me like, well, do I need to brace all the time? And to that, I say the answer is no, like you don't need to be bracing 24 seven, but it doesn't really matter like what the activity is or the lift or or whatever. But like, yeah, when you go squat, I expect you to brace when you pick something up off the floor, even if it does not weigh very much, I expect you to create a little bit of a brace when you do that um, so that we're just continuing to reinforce those those patterns and those habits um that can keep us all moving moving well now to kind of piggyback off that i think when people
1: ask me that question should i be bracing all the time i think the answer is yes but there's like a certain scale it's like a spectrum yeah 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 Yeah. it's a continuum so like zero being sleeping we're not even thinking about 10 being we're about to lift something heavy off the ground or, or take a hit on a football field. That's like what I call super brace where as braces as we could possibly get. Yeah. Even when we're sitting around, you know, I, I think that we should be slightly braced where
0: we're trying to activate the glutes yeah. and just trying to activate the trunk. it's more like a one or something, yeah. a low number on that bra right, on that scale. As we, as Joel and I both sit <laughs> up, create a little bit of a uh, little bit of tension. So uh, if you did that at home, you're not alone. So to, to
1: add the second part of that question, um, bracing was really important. Uh, but the other thing that I think was really important about, um, kind of getting back into healthy movement was, was moving properly. Yeah. And, and I, and again, I was always like, I've always moved really well, but like really getting into the depths of, of that. And that's where like Kelly Tourette really blew my mind and took it to another level where, you know, you're, you're diving into the principles that help, um, that help govern movement mechanics Mm -hmm.
0: and, and, and really learning how to get your body organized and ready before you start moving. So yeah, getting
1: really efficient in movement was kind of the second part of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I kind of had to start all over again. Um, yeah. Relearning things, but you know, I, I, and I haven't ever been able to squat as heavy as I did in my high school days, but, um, I could deadlift more, yeah. which is really interesting. And that's, I think, honestly, one of my weakest, uh, lifts. So so you know, it, and, and I understand where the doctors were coming from. Their intentions were 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 in, you know from a good place where they they're not they don't want me to injure myself, but sure. at the same exact time, like I knew that we can't not squat or not lift things off the ground our entire lives. So there's got to be yeah of a, a, a medium there. So totally,
0: totally. Um, Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. No, I think. (laughs) Well, I think that's good for this conversation because many people that get into the professions that we're in have their own stories, right? Their own experiences with injuries and things that they've dealt with. Or I was speaking with a young high schooler recently who he wants to be a personal trainer, and the reason why is because he has had a great experience working with one himself. So, like, he's worked with someone, and now he respects and looks up to that person. He wants to do what they do. So, um, that's, that's common in our professions of either you've worked with a really good person yourself because you've had your own experience with training or injury. And, um, and that's how you kind of get exposed to it. And, um, and I'm right there with you on the, like having had my own issues from an injury perspective, and now I do what I do, but, um, but man, I've had to challenge what I thought I knew and challenge the, the movement beliefs that I had of relearning a lot of things. And, and I agree. I think we can give a shout out to it. I think the uh, the ready state, what used to be mobility WOD, and the uh, movement education program that they have and the books that they've written built to move and becoming a Supple Leopard, et cetera, et cetera. I think those things are phenomenal and I think this yes. in for like for what they are as a manual for people, um, I think they taught me, so many things that i did not learn in all of the years of education that i had right like i feel like you go to school to um from a physical therapy standpoint to learn how to diagnose things to learn how to rule out medical red flag issues because now we have like direct access and i need to know if i need to refer someone for imaging or if i need to refer someone to a different provider like if they're not in the right place and they're having an issue that cardiologist or an orthopedic or somebody needs to see them for I feel like that was so much of what the education was like making you be able to know who you should be working with and who you should not be working with and then just starting to get your feet wet of like well what do you actually do with people but physical therapy school does not teach you how to treat everybody like how to handle all of the issues that somebody's going to walk in with because school would be so long, like you'd have to be in school for a dozen years to be able to do that. Like we learn so much and evolve so much when we're out of school and we're actually in the field working. So that was where I found that uh the, the Ready State Mobility Wad and stuff was after school. And uh, I treat clients very differently now than I did several years ago when I first got out of school because I didn't incorporate all those principles. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting. Huge shout out to them and their resources. Um and we'll continue to work on getting them on this podcast. We've had some conversations about that. Oh, cool. So hopefully we have some conversations with them coming Absolutely. up in the future, the uh, the Starrettes. So, you know, I think that's why they call what you guys are doing a practice. Oh, it's a practice. And oh. I, I would
1: even say that, you know, personal training is a practice as well. hundred percent. And, and, you know, I love, you know, I appreciate what you've done with all your education. And that's the reason why we lean on you guys so much, because even though with all this education that we've had and experiences, there's only so much that we can learn. And that's why it's nice, you know, if, if there's something that I'm like, oh man, I just can't figure this out. We we got to get, we got to get them over see doc and see, see what's happening.
0: Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that because, yeah, it's definitely not easy. Um, I mean, physical therapy school is getting hard to get into these days. I've talked to a lot of students who are just applying to all these places. What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up, Whether you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. But I think we're so used to in a facility like this where we have a lot of minds, right? And a lot of expert levels of experience Like people have been doing this for a long time, right? Um, Coaches have been doing this for a long time, provide therapists who have been doing this for a long time. And um we're so used to, I think, being able to, if we're working with a client that's dealing with a problem, we're so used to being able to help them, right? When we were just having a conversation before we hit record of, you know, some of the folks that we're working with were are dealing with like really frustrating, challenging things that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're all racking our brain, trying to like, trying to help them. And we're slowly making some progress, but like everybody's scenario is not just like, Easy, right? And like you said, it's a practice where if it was easy to just get people, like you know, from dealing with back pain back to feeling 100 normal, well, it wouldn't be the type of problem it is in this this country or in the world of people dealing with pain, right? It's not easy to work through that. There's a lot of factors, but I think we're just so used to um, being able to help people relatively quickly get from one point to another that when we when we see someone not progressing quite as fast, we're like we get frustrated. Um, not at them, just at the scenario of like, man, well, we want to see you back to doing the things you want to do.
1: This is one of the reasons why I love working with the youngsters, because we can kind of get, we can, I, I can brainwash them. <laughs> <laughs> at age, and hopefully, and, and I'm obviously messing around, but, uh, you know, trying to teach them these concepts, these principles at a young age to get them ingrained yeah. into their their, motor behavior and function, um, yep. before they, you know, develop any kind of issues is really important. Uh, something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. And so that's why I like working with, uh, the youngsters. Uh, yeah. but, but because I've dealt with a lot of these, um, issues with, with myself, it, it, it also has, um, you know, uh, allowed me the the opportunity to work with individuals uh, you know in their in their middle ages that are dealing with 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 the lies and so yeah, yeah I've become pretty experienced with it and we've had some really good successes
0: oh man I think so and I think there's a couple people in particular that like I see you work with consistently that like I'm picturing in my head right now as we're having this conversation but let's go into that a little bit of you know like, training longevity, mm-hmm. right? Training as we age. And like you said, learning how to brace, learning how to move correctly, movement efficiency was big for you. And then you just mentioned when you get the opportunity to work with someone at a young age, these are the types of principles you, you teach them, right? Like mm-hmm. how to move correctly at a young age so that they can carry that through. But we meet so many people from a physical therapy or a personal training standpoint who may already be in what we'll call the middle years of their life, right? Like maybe they didn't have this education when they were younger. Maybe they were taught different movement uh, principles, you know, for example, not to let your knee go past your toes when you're squatting or put all your weight back on your heels so that your toes can kind of lift when you're squatting things that we don't generally teach them here. Um, So when you're working with someone who's like already, Later in their life in, you know, not to offend anybody on the show, let's call later just for the purposes of this, like past the years when most people are, you know, you're done with college, you're done with having children, your children are growing up or they're already grown. So you're probably, I don't know, we'll call it like 45 or later, right? Because most people at that point, a lot of their really athletic endeavors have already passed and a lot of people continue to decline in activity level as we age. We know that that's a fact from all the statistics out there that activity level continues to decrease as we age and we get towards um like the final decade or or two decades of of our life. And we're actually starting to see um you know this term Health span come up instead of lifespan, right? And I know you and I fall into this camp of like, we would rather live whatever to whatever age, being able to do the things we really want to do, having a great health span, as opposed to just live longer and be alive longer, but not being able to actually do anything and just be, you know, hanging out in a in a nursing facility or assisted living facility, not being able to thrive. So I think the people listening to this are the same. So what I'm getting at is how how do we continue to train as we age when we might be dealing with pains or limitations in range of motion and like we can't move how we used to be able to move because we haven't done that? Like, how do we get to a point where we're able to use our bodies to do the activities that we want to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think we we use it or lose it. <laughs> Yeah. And everybody has heard that cliche. So it's like, if we're, if we, if we want to do something, then we got to get back to doing it. Um, And obviously, you know, maybe coming into that, everybody starts off a little bit differently. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that, that, you know, if, if someone came in and and was, is, you know, decondition or, you know, maybe slightly, you know, out, out of, out of training. And then I, I would start real basic. Um, but some of the things that I'm doing with, with the individuals I'm working with now is, uh, you know, we're really getting in, into stability mm-hmm. and stability can mean anything from balance on one leg to literally lifting heavy weights, because either way, you, we're, we're really focusing on, you know, stability. I think that's really vital. Yeah. Um, I also think that adapting training routines is, is, is kind of important, too. I, I feel like a lot of people have um, activities or sports that they're, they're still involved in. Totally. And so kind of looking at that seasonally, that, that helps t- kind of dictate things. Um, you know, and, and exercise selection is big for me. Um, I really lean into utilizing modalities like kettlebells, um, and maces because I think they're very multifaceted. I think there's, there's so much bang for the buck kind of so say, Yeah. um, and the the risk reward there the the risk is lower mm-hmm. and the reward is is still the same. We're still training good motor behavior, um, and if we can challenge that, but we're also working uh, strength. There's you know for instance with with a with a kettlebell swing. I mean that's a really multifaceted exercise. I mean. Mm-hmm. The benefits are we're combining strength. There's a cardiovascular component to it. There's power type training. Absolutely. So like, I really like doing exercises like that with people because we get, we're getting a lot out of an exercise like that. Now, now somebody that has never swung a kettlebell before, I'm not going to just throw them right at, yeah. but we're going to work up to exercises like that as quickly as possible, you know? And, and I have some of my, my, people even if they're they're in their 60s and 70s we're still going to do plyometric stuff yeah um we're going to try to do it as safely as possible because i don't you know last thing i need is or they need is 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 to take a fall and break something sure but i also think it's really important that they're practicing things like that because in the real world you might step off of a curb and be unbalanced and if your body hasn't trained like that yeah. in a more controlled environment, what do you expect it to do in the real world? Like yeah. that's, that's how people end up getting injured. So mm-hmm. um, these are the ways that I look at kind of training as we get older, trying to simplify some of the things that we'll be um, exposed to in the real world and then trying to practice those skills yeah. in a, in a controlled environment Um, and everybody comes in differently, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to challenge people even at, at, at an older age. I mean, I want to be challenging. them. Also VO2 max training is really important. Grip training. I mean, these are two, um, you know, these are, are, are two factors that we know supported by, um, you know, numerous studies of, of how important it is to support longevity um, and, and again, I, I really do think that efficient movement is a key factor to preserve body function over time. And, and what I found is people that even if they come in here, um, and they're decades of sitting or or decades of of restriction in their ankles, you know, guess what? When we actually focus on improving those things, guess what happens? They improve because the the body is really resilient even in all the way until, until we die. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing these things. If people want to improve ranges of motions, well, guess what? We're going to work on getting into end range positions and trying to, you know, reestablish the new norm for, for their bodies.
0: Yeah. I think I think I like or the thing that I like the most about what you just said is or how you did not answer that question about if people want to improve ranges of motion, we're not just stretching to try to improve range of motion, right? Mm-hmm. Like like we are going to work at that. And we know that there's a lot that goes into that. And we're going to try to establish a new norm of how their how their body moves in that position or in in those joints because we can lack range of motion for a lot of different reasons. We could lack tissue length, in which case potentially stretching would be a good uh, option for that to lengthen out that tissue. Then of course, if you do that, now you need to make it stronger because if you make a, a tissue that is elastic longer, well, now we need to layer in the strength so that it can continue to control the joint that it's supposed to move through that range of motion. But Joints don't move for a lot of other reasons. It might not be tissue length. It might be the joint is stiff. It might be a strength issue or a stability issue that you can't get there. It might be because of the environment that we're in. And the ankles are a good example of that. Like if you always spend time in shoes that have what's called a 12 millimeter drop where the heel is 12 millimeters thicker in cushioning than the front of the shoe, it's pretty hard to get into an end range dorsiflexion or like full bottom of a squat kind of position because your shoes at the very least holding you 12 millimeters higher in the heel, you're not really accessing that full range. So sometimes we need to get out of the environment. That's not letting us access a range of motion. <laughs> um, and then to, to just sort of close the loop on the part that you said about, you know, we, we want to simulate activities that people may encounter in the real world, I think is so, so important. And I want to make sure that doesn't get lost in this because Sprinting is a good example. Stepping off a curb, losing your balance and being able to catch yourself that you said was a, is a great example. Having to jump even a small amount is a great example because people may have to do these things, right? Like you're a father, I'm going to be soon. If it's my kid or anyone else's kid who like I see a kid like in the middle of a street and a car is coming, If you can't quickly get over to that child to get them out of the way because you have not even tried to sprint or move quickly in 30 years since you like stopped playing sports or something, it's not going to be very easy to do that. And the likelihood that somebody hurts themselves trying to do that is significantly higher, let alone you're less likely to be able to actually like save the kids from this coming car who, you know, the person might be texting and not see them or something, but you had mentioned, you know, we, we don't want people to say fall and break something. And I think that's a big point because I think that's one of the biggest uh, factors that leads to people falling and injuring something is that they're not preparing their body to prevent that scenario. And fractured hips is a huge issue. Many people, as they age, particularly as they get past 65, will fall and will fracture their hip in the process. And the statistics, if that happens to you or someone that you love, are really scary. Mm -hmm. Because basically, without getting like super specific, basically what the statistics in the research studies show is that if somebody falls and breaks their hip, one third of those people are going to recover well from that scenario and they're going to get through it they're going to heal whether they have surgery or not they're go- they're going to recover what the statistics also show is another third of those people are going to live the rest of their lives in a assisted type of scenario whether that means like assisted living or nursing home having somebody sort of watching or supervising them or at the very least down one level when it comes to assistive devices, meaning if you were used to walking with a cane, now you fell and broke your hip, mm-hmm. there's a 33% chance that you're going to spend the rest of your life walking with a walker, mm-hmm. not just with a cane. Or if you were walking with nothing, no assistive device, there's a 33% chance you may spend the rest of your, year, your life walking with a cane. And then the really scary part is that the stats show that one third of those people who are over the age of 65, who fall and break their hip will not live longer than 12 months after that happens yeah, and that it, is the part that scares the heck out of me mm-hmm. and you mentioned power and being able to move quickly and catch ourselves that's like one of the biggest factors in stopping yourself from falling sure. or injuring yourself is being able to react quickly and powerfully if something starts to happen because we're not going to be able to prevent ourselves from tripping or slipping or this net like Falls and losses of balance are going to happen, and there's things that you can do to make that less likely, of course, but they're still going to happen, and being able to react and respond to that scenario is going to be so much easier to somebody who's training and trying to simulate those activities and demands. But anyways, I just wanted to make sure to to talk about that because the stats are crazy, but they're true, and um, yeah, we want to try not to put ourselves in that scenario.
1: And so that's something that, you know, I I do, you know, even in my training. um, And, you know, and I think it's just important, you know, one of the things, too, is getting up and down off the ground. Yes. You know, spending time on the ground. I have I have a lot of people do, you know, animal primal type movement patterns. And boy, it's tough on some people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, there's just there's a lot of things that we can do to, to kind of stave off that. Um, and, you know, we we hit hard here about, you know, mu- muscle mass and how important that is. And, and so, yeah, we,
0: we we just try to stay consistent with it. Um, yeah. So we want to work through, we want to try to gain back the limitations in motion that we have, right? If we're lacking range of motion, we want to try to enhance that and improve that. mm mm-hmm when we're moving, we want to brace efficiently and effectively to protect our body and our joints from the load and the resistance training that we're doing. Whenever possible, we want to try to move through full ranges of motion, right? So that we're maintaining those and creating stability throughout the range of motion, like, you know, not just at the top of a squat, but also throughout the entire middle, all the way down to the bottom of a squat, not losing stability at the bottom so that we're not putting undue stress on the joints. And we wanna train, one of the things I like that you said is we wanna train with a uh, variety of modalities, right? Mm -hmm. like, you know, we don't wanna just train like one way only because then we're not, we're not really reaping the benefits of like all the different ways that our body can and was meant to move. Yep. Um, so if we can vary our, our training and undulate it a bit and have it go through seasonality where like, yeah, maybe there is a period of time where people are training with barbells and dumbbells, but then are there periods of time where we're doing things more single leg or using different implements, things like maces and kettlebells to make sure that we're able to mm. handle all the different demands that life throws at us. Um,
1: I think is so, so important. Yeah. I mean, and the one of the reasons why I love the mace so much is because it it kind of trains that transverse plane. This ro- there's this rotational component and anti-rotational component to it that I feel like a lot of traditional exercises don't touch. And that's why I love those maces and even single. Uh, arm kettlebell work to kind of puts the body in this uh, under similar loads. Yeah, um and then there's like t- you had talked about how you know moving through end range positions really important. Be- and and I w- I want to add on to that because if our body forgets what an end range position feels like, we just stop having access to it. Now all of a sudden we can't express ourselves the way that we're designed to move. And and some of the t- two of the biggest ones that that I really like to expose the individuals I'm working with is the overhead position, yeah. particularly pull-ups. So, I mean, I don't care what age we are, we're doing pull-ups. Cause again, that's a multifaceted exercise that we're exposing that shoulder to overhead position that we don't do very much throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, I think I know what the other one you're going to say. And yep. Hip extension. There it is. Yep, yeah. The lunge movements, single leg movements. It, that's another thing, especially if we're we live in such a dustbound society or yeah. we spend a lot of time sitting down that we our, our hips don't um they forget to they, they're in a, such a flexed position all the time they forget how to extend. Yeah. So those are two that I really hammer with with almost everybody that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Tristan and I were actually even working with a group of high schoolers last week. And those he and I had talked prior to uh taking them through a workout. And, um, you know, uh, developing a training routine is like, that's obviously your guys the bread and butter. So Tristan created what, what his plan was for the workout. But as we talked through why we were going to do the things with those kids that we were doing, those were two of the principles that we like wanted to make sure were incorporated into these, the hour long session, overhead arm position and hip extension. Because honestly, pretty much at the age of like. I guess I'll say high school or, or it could even be earlier, unfortunately, like we sort of stop expressing ourselves in those movements, getting our arms straight overhead and getting our thigh, our femur behind us, which is what we mean when we talk about hip extension, getting your thigh behind you compared to neutral or flexed. If you're like sitting in a chair or doing a squat, unless you're specifically doing a sport or an activity that requires you to do that. Uh, like if you are training and you're doing things that put you in those positions or you're playing a sport that puts you in those positions. But daily life of like normal people who are just going to work every day in most jobs do not require you to do either one of those things. Lifting something over your head, doing a pull-up, putting your thigh behind you more so than what you get just from walking, which is not very much. And then we see issues like whenever someone has to do one of those things, a lot of times they really struggle with it. Like I was traveling this weekend. I watched many people put up and take down their bag from the overhead compartment in the airplane. And I wanted to help so many people, but like one, you can't help everybody. And two, not everybody wants, wants assistance. Like they want to do it, but you can tell that like, aside from putting their bag in the overhead bin, like how often do they lift something of weight over their head? Probably not very much. And that's probably why it's very difficult to do that a lot of times uh, especially as we get older.
1: The other thing that adds to that too, is, you know, when, when our hips and shoulders start to lose one end range position, it actually impacts our other end range Mm, positions. Yeah. Great point. And so that's why it's another important, you know, why it's, why it's important to train those end range positions. Another thing that I hammer hard with, with people is, uh, the importance of activating their posterior chain. And that's mm-hmm. another reason why I like pull-ups. Yeah. Because it's we live where everything's in the in the anterior world, which is essentially out in front of us. And so a lot of times we forget that we have these big muscles behind us, which really the biggest muscles in our body are our posterior chain muscle groups. And so any exercise that I can um access those or train those I I do yeah um and and choose those over over a lot of pressing movements. yeah I like that in front so yeah so that's kind of the things that I think are really important with longevity and 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 how that fits in training you know and some other things that we are I think are are pretty important that are 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 pillars to to mention are still adequate sleep hydration nutrition I mean, these are, these are, we all know about those, but, you know, these are conversations that we're having with, with people, with with our our patients and all the time and, and, you know, people working. So,
0: yeah. Well, why don't we do this? I'll get you out of here on this. I have one more question for you. And you yeah. and I very briefly talked about this in the gym yesterday, because this came up in a, in a conversation I was having outside of here is at what point, if, if, at what point should somebody, uh, kind of start to rekindle or ch- reshape the expectations that they have about what their body can and cannot do? Like, for example, the example that got brought up is somebody who like grew up was an athlete in at, at like, what point should they maybe not expect their body to be like quite the intense athlete that they were when they were younger? Um, We just talked about trying to train through the lifespan, but this question that came up and someone's, you know, continuing to try to push their body pretty intensely, kind of in like a weekend warrior Uh kind of format. Right. And, uh, and what's, what was happening is they're continuing to aggravate things and have small nagging injuries that they're dealing with. Yeah. And another provider they were talking about was talking with, excuse me, was, uh, was sort of telling them, well, maybe it's time to give up the, the days of doing this sport or activity. Right. That involved, involved running and agility and this and that. So I don't know. I'm just asking that, posing that yeah. question to you. Is there a point in time where people should, should like maybe the physician told you, start to consider avoiding certain activities or stopping doing something that, that they want to do because they keep tweaking things along the way? I would say no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would
1: yeah. say life's too short. We got to have some fun. If that's what you enjoy doing, we got to do it. The, the, the thing there is if, if you're weekend worrying things, then you're not putting in the work that's that's required. Yeah. You know, we can get away with that when we're young. Yeah. Um, but there was a cost even when we were young. We were chewing through, you know, what what we call duty cycles. Our body only has so many cycles. Every system of the of in, in the body only has so many duty cycles before it's just going to fail yeah (laughs) so when we push our body without doing all the proper things which include recovery resistance training proper hydration sleep nutrition then we're chewing through something faster and so it sounds like that person in in specific is probably getting closer to chewing through their buffer zones and their body's telling them, Hey, this can't continue. So they need to listen to their body and adjust. Yeah. Um, Everybody's probably that's, that's a different for everybody. I think we can do whatever we want to for as long as we we want to, we should be able to, I mean, to me, that's one of those definitions of fitness being able to Express our body when we want to, however we want to, mm-hmm. spontane- uh, spontaneously, spontaneously, yeah. instantaneously. Mm-hmm. You know, these are um and, and and we should be able to do it without getting injured
0: too. Yeah. Really important. Yeah, I like that. Uh and that's kind of where my head was when I was yeah. hearing this scenario. Cause like I said, I was being asked by another provider about a client they were working with. And she, you know, it sort of asked me do you think I should tell them they need to stop doing this? And I was like, well, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more of what's going on. And I think the biggest thing is one verbiage shift that I have had or gone through in the past several years is no longer do I call what, what we do in our fitness life uh, working out, right? It's not working out. You're not just like showing up at the gym to do meaningless exercises for no purpose in mind we call it training yeah right because training has a different purpose and method and thought process behind it than doing a workout does Yeah. yeah and so like we don't call it working out here we call it training um or it's a program that someone's going through or something or a or in our world it's a plan of care it's not like you're just coming in for physical therapy for an hour Because that looks very different for everybody. It's a plan that we're trying to, a tailored plan that we're trying to follow. And so that's the way that I look at it now is like, every time I do a workout, a training session, um, there's a goal in mind, right? We're trying to express and perform certain movements, certain skills, certain positions, so that when the performance comes up, whatever that might be, the performance might be a race, It might be a powerlifting competition. It might be a football game or soccer or something else. It might be playing with your grandkids. Mm -hmm. When the performance comes up, you're able to put on a show, right? Like you're able to do the thing and perform to the level that the training that you went through dictates that you should be able to do. Um, So I don't know. That's kind of the way that I look at it of what are we training for and how can we tailor our training plan to help us try to achieve that outcome and we talked about a lot of factors that go into that
1: yeah i love that i mean obviously the older we get at some point we're we're not going to be performing like we were in our in, the, in our peak years but yeah but i think we can actually push that out quite a bit mm-hmm. and in fact you know we've seen you know people being able to to compete at high levels in their even in their 50s mm-hmm. you know and so it's like uh, yeah I mean it's just like you said you got to put in you got to put in a little bit of work you got to do all the things that you need to be doing yeah and it doesn't have to be complicated that's the other thing like I try to simplify things for people too yeah it's more about consistency and just making sure we're doing what we should be doing on a daily kind of like we floss our teeth every day or we should be yeah there's certain things that we should be just doing every day to help keep the body performing well
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, why don't we do this, you guys, as we wrap this conversation up um, again, Joel, I want to thank you for being here. I mean, we see each other, but for blocking out this time so we can have this conversation. And um, for any of you guys that tune in to listen to this, if you are looking to connect with a coach or a trainer who understands what it's like to work with kids, to understand what it's like to work with people that are in there 50s 60s 70s 80s and still wanting to push their bodies to be able to do the things that they want to do i mean literally i saw joel having one of the older clients that we have here in the gym doing box jumps last week like can't safe, is safe. safely yeah exactly he did not get hurt in the process and he wants to do it right like it's a goal of his to be able to do something he used to do um but I can't recommend him highly enough. I think he does a great job. I hear him communicating and talking with people all the time. So if people want to get in touch with you, Joel, how can they do that? What's the best way to get in touch? Or we're going to include some of the stuff in the yeah. show notes. But
1: yeah, I would say probably my email. Yeah. Or um, yeah, that's probably the easiest yeah. you have on uh, uh Joel at lionsden smp.com. That's yeah. probably be the the best. Um yeah, and then, you know, I any mean, I can link anything to yeah. To the bio or whatever we have
0: that sounds great we'll put that stuff in the show notes for you guys and like i said if you're looking for a coach who gets it who isn't going to say just avoid this and you don't you don't have to throw a football anymore or like whatever your goals are um i think joel would be a great resource for you and um i just appreciate you carving out the time to hop on the show man my pleasure thank you cool thanks guys we hope to catch you next time on another episode of the code. And if you've not already done so, you know, we have a goal of trying to get to 200 five-star reviews on this show. If you listened to this before, you've probably heard me say that. But if you enjoyed this conversation, man, I would really appreciate if you go drop a review on there so we can get this show out to more and more people just like you to make sure that they can see the benefits as well. Again, Dr. Andrew Fix with Physio Room. We'll catch you guys next time on the code.